listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so that you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teachers Podcast. As always, I've got a really, really great guest for you today and we're going to explore some really cool topics, which I know you're all going to benefit from. But before we do, let me tell you that we are coming up to episode number 50 of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. The theme for episode 50 is going to be 50 guitar teaching tips from 50 guitar teachers. So if you want to be featured on the show, make sure that you put your guitar teaching tip. You can email it to the link uh, that we've submitted there, or you can email me at michael at topmusic.co. We can either do an audio file or I can just read out your tip, but we'd love you to get involved with the show. My guest today is a fellow Aussie, somebody who has come up with a really cool platform and is doing wonderful things for music teachers in the classroom, in private studios, and for guitar students all around, not just Australia, but all around the world. So I'd like you to help me welcome Zach to the podcast. Zach, thanks for coming on. Hey, Michael. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Now, I hesitated for a bit there. How do we pronounce your surname there, Zach? Yeah, Pew. <laughs> Zach Pew. So, I, I definitely would have said that wrong, so I'm glad I uh, paused there. So, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, you can and, imagine how that went in the playground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Gumley, unfortunately, rhymes with a few funny words as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> lucky I was bigger than everyone, so <laughs> everyone was quite well behaved. So, But uh, the good old days of the schoolyard, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> but now, obviously, um, in terms of things, we've all grown up, but we return back to the school, whether that's in a classroom capacity or just teaching children. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of your story so far and how you've transitioned from a guitar teacher, now turned a, an entrepreneur with your platform, Musico? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I picked up the guitar when I was 11. I heard the song Zombie by the Cranberries and uh, picked up a rake that was nearby and pretended I was the one playing the guitar. And I was like, I want to do this. You know, I really love guitar. So I started getting lessons. And then a bit later on, I switched teachers and, and my next teacher was a brilliant guitarist who, who, particularly with improvising and composition, he was just amazing. And I learned a lot from him. I then went to university and studied music. Uh, I taught guitar for 20 years myself. I've worked for media companies composing music. So I've worked for a company that was developing some video games and I worked for a company that was producing those, um, those games that you might see when you go into a cinema or something. You put some money in and then you play it for two minutes. So I had the privilege to write some music for some of those. And also I've written um, about 56 graded songs for the St. Cecilia School of Music for their contemporary guitar curriculum. And yeah, now I've I've <laughs> taken a step away from all that, and I'm I'm doing musico. And I suppose the way that came about is um, I was teaching guitar, and 
these students would come in at school or at the studio at home and I might have half an hour with them, maybe 45 minutes, and I needed to magically <laughs> make them really good at guitar and hopefully pretty good at music as well, like so they knew what they were doing and I found that to be quite a challenging thing and so I would experiment with some different music theory products along with the teaching and I just couldn't land on something that I thought would work well. So that's what I stepped out and, and I'm doing what I'm doing now. So that's kind of the quick quick summary of the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And it's great to obviously be able to draw from so many of those other different roles. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, some of them are going to be similar to you and they've done a bit of everything. Other guys are just going to be either gigging musicians, doing a bit of teaching on the side, but to be able to be a composer, to work for a number of different companies, to write curriculums, you know, each one of those gives you a wealth of experience and different insights into this wonderful instrument of guitar, which we play and love. And hopefully we can draw a bit more from that. Absolutely. Now, something you mentioned there, which is really interesting, because I think about this all the time, is the simple fact that we've only got 30 minutes a week with most of our students. And that's less than 1% of our waking hours for a week. Luckily, some people might have a full hour, but rarely do we get more than that. So, what are some of the ways that you went about having the maximum impact on your students in the smallest uh, or you know, the, the limited amount of time that we do have? Yeah, that's a good question. One of the most important things was to keep feeding the passion. I know that for my own personal journey, as long as I loved guitar and I loved music and I felt like I was getting better, that was ticking a really big box. So that was definitely a big focus of the lessons that I had. How can we maximize practical playing? or finding opportunities where they could play live. Um, so that we down in Little Launceston in Tasmania, we have this thing called the Launceston Competitions and then there's also the Rock Challenge. You know, these were things that if a student entered them and performed, it was like, you know, that's it, I'm in. Uh, so they, they're just some of the things I would do. Occasionally I would have group lessons, so get a few students in together. They would play parts and they go, hey, I'm playing – something different to this guy, but we're playing it together and we're, we're sounding great, you know? So yeah, that, they're just a couple of things I did back when I was meeting with the students face to face. Yeah. Excellent. I think creating those performance opportunities are a really great way to give the students something to work towards, but also to give them a proper experience. And at the end of the day, if all you're doing is a private lesson, half an hour, once a week, it's like going to football training and never actually playing a game of footy. It's not until you give them a performance opportunity uh, or, or a special project like writing and recording a song or uh, a gig or, or a, a jam session, that's when it's match day and the game's are always more fun and it's what you work towards. Absolutely. So how important is learning music theory? You've obviously been in a number of different fields, many of which are reliant on the theory, and I do notice that so many guitar players are intentionally and deliberately ignorant about music theory and never wanting to learn it because they somehow feel like they'll be boxed in. So, in, in your opinion, how important is music theory to learning how to play guitar? Yeah, I love that question. So, I guess at the end of the day, music theory, what it actually is, is just an explanation of music. And maybe, maybe guitarists, you know, we, when we discover Tab <laughs> and Ultimate Guitar or Guitar Pro, um, we go, hey, I don't need to know a whole lot to sound really good. And that's great. I mean, a, a nice quick entry into sounding good for an instrument, that's a win. That's fantastic. But 
there's definitely these, these moments when a student goes, hang on, I actually need to know a little bit more if I want to actually get better. So an example might be, uh, okay, we're going to play an A blues. We're going to jam in A blues. Here's your A minor pentatonic shape in the fifth fret. Just play up and down that while I jam on these chords and we're going to sound great. And a student will do that and they do sound great. They're like, oh, this is awesome, you know, I'm making up a solo. But then if they want to go beyond that or if they get said, all right, we're going to do this again. Let's play another A blues jam and here's your one scale pattern, go again. It doesn't take long for them to realize I need some more ideas. I need some more tools I can use if I want to keep developing what I'm playing. So, you know, if you say to them, all right, I'm playing an A7 chord and when I'm on the A7 chord, you can play the notes A, C sharp, E and G as well as your blues scale. That opens up a lot of doors for them. And then we go to D7, play D, F sharp, A and C as well as your blues scale. And on the E7 chord, play E, G sharp, B and D. You know, they're starting to think less about shapes and they're starting to think more about notes and chords and that's essentially music theory. That's, that's switching from I'm playing a shape to I'm thinking about what I'm doing. And because I'm doing that, I'm now expressing myself in a new way and I've actually got more options creatively. Yeah. And I would also add to that is so many people think that music theory is the be all and end all. And there's just one set of rules you have to abide by when going back to what you said, music theory is just the explanation or, or the recipe. If you want to sound like Beethoven, Here's the rules that you follow to sound like Beethoven. Uh, and that was different from the rules that Bach used. There was a big overlap, but Beethoven had to break a few rules, change a few things to get music that sounded like him. And just because of how society progresses, it used to happen every 80 to 100 years. Now it happens every five to 10 years, there's, there's a new genre and it just speeds up. But to play jazz was an evolution and a change out of blues. And then rock and roll was also a slight evolution out of blues as well. And then we've got all our contemporary rock and, and pop and all that. And it's just, let's try a couple of different rules and mix things up. And when you understand how to read it and, and not necessarily confusing it with uh, reading music, because I think that's a separate skill to knowing music theory, but you just be able to read or follow a recipe to create the music that you want to create. And that I think really allows people to unlock music rather than to be confined by rules. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I say throughout our content with Musigo, often we'll state a rule, if you like, but then in the next breath we're saying, but this is this is not something, you, you know, try breaking it. See what happens if you break it, you know. Here's a, here's a concept, now use it or or not, you know, follow it or don't. But now you know it exists, you know. So absolutely. And I think we all got that one student who you say, this is the rule and this is what you do. And then they come up and go, but in this song, they do this or in this <laughs> example. So there's always going to be <laughs> exceptions to different rules. And, and some of the best cases, especially if you're teaching Nirvana, you're just going, this shouldn't make sense and this shouldn't sound as good as what it does. <laughs> but it, it clearly does. Yeah. And yet what, we love it anyway. <laughs> exactly. And what benefits can students gain from having an understanding of music theory on top of everything we've already just mentioned? Yeah, well, I think one massive one is obviously when they want to be creative or compose or improvise, theory is going to be the thing they're calling upon when they do that, uh, but also when they work with other musicians. So 
Musigo is targeted at, at um, students who are going to likely work with a drummer, a keys player, a bass player, or other guitarists. And you know, there's actually quite a lot of common ground that you can look at between them when they're when they're playing. So if you have a, a solid understanding of at least some theory, particularly the theory that relates to everyone in the group, the way you communicate can, ch- can change. It can become way better. You know, hey, you know, why don't we anticipate this chord um, an eighth note earlier? Or how about we swap out that chord there for the relative minor chord? Or how about you do 16ths on the hi-hats instead of eighth notes? You know, we're all starting to speak the same language, whereas I, <laughs> you know, sometimes a guitarist might say, I'm just playing seven. What do you mean? Seven fret seven or the seventh note of the scale or the seventh note on top of the chord we're playing at the moment? You know, like thinking in terms of notes rather than numbers. Yeah, it just allows collaboration, I think, to have a similar language that we're all speaking. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you make there is what you're doing is you're trying to bring a bunch of musicians together in a contemporary context and explain everyday stuff and maybe songs and music they're familiar with with the appropriate music theory. I definitely know my experience and I think the the reason why so many guitar players especially put off music theory is it's always presented in a very dry academic classroom approach from a music book written 50 years earlier and hasn't been updated and it's always explained by a piano teacher with no relevance to how the guitars are laid out or, or any connecting factor. Have you had a similar experience or I know many of our listeners may have, but what are your thoughts on, on what I've just said there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, an experience might be, oh, okay, uh, I've got to learn about six, eight time because my teacher told me to or something. So they jump on YouTube and they might see an elderly person in a, you know, quite a bland looking room with a whiteboard and a piano and um, the examples might be classical and the student's like, I'm a guitarist and I'm into rock, you know, and also the lesson might not be succinct because it's not a well-produced product. It's just someone sort of waffling. So if that's someone's experience of music theory, they go, that's just not my scene. That's not my culture. And now I associate music theory with that. I don't want to go near it, you know. That's anti what I'm trying to do which is such a shame. <laughs> yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And as soon as you said six, eight time, the first thing I thought of was uh, Nothing Else Matters by Metallica and how we use that in our school and going, okay, we're going to learn about six, eight time. Can you do this counting to six? Do, 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 do. All of a sudden people are like, hey, I know that song. And then you, you just put on the intro and let them play along to it and they feel really awesome. And you're getting them counting along in, in six. So by breaking out of the box and giving people contemporary examples, if you can teach them what they need in the context of what they like or what they want and then make the dots. I think someone even posted in the professional guitar teacher Facebook the other day. He was just like, oh, I've got a teen student. What do I do? They don't want to learn music theory. And I said, ask them for, to make your list of 30 songs, arrange them from easy to hard. And then as you teach him a song, just pick out some sort of relevant bit of music theory you can explain as part of the lesson. And then all of a sudden you're going to give them a musical theory education using the songs that they like and just use that to explain the various techniques and theory concepts that are going to come across it. And if teachers can kind of do this with and build a repertoire of their favorite pieces, go, okay, well, here's my 50 go-to pieces from beginner to intermediate player. I might use Thunderstruck for hammer-ons and pull-offs. I might use Joker and the Thief for open string hammer-ons. I might use 
Zombie by the Cranberries, because we love doing that one, to show a simple, you know, E minor scale melody line that can be combined with the chord progression. So I think guitar teachers, if you're listening to this and you kind of just randomly think of the piece on the day when little Timmy, you go, hey, Timmy, what do you feel like learning today? And he tells you a song and then you try and transcribe it. you got to break out of that, or at least when little Timmy gives you a song, catalog it, write it down, analyze what are the theory concepts here, what are the technical skills I need, and then you know make a proper transcription of it. And then you've got that forever to give to the next people. And soon enough, you'll build a database of... Uh, go-to concepts and skills and ideas that you can draw from for future lessons. Yeah, exactly. You're making it real for them. You know, you're teaching them the language in their context. That's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Now, I love to differentiate between music theory and musicianship skill. So, learning the theory for me is obviously what are the concepts, how does the language of music work, the interval patterns, the scales, how do we form everything. Musicianship skills are ear training, rhythm and timing, being able to communicate with other musicians, all those things like that. So within Musigo, are you doing a similar thing where you've got concepts and practical musicianship skills? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, the way we've done it is we'll explain the concept. So we've definitely got the lean toward the theory side. But the cool thing about animated lessons is you can say, this is a major third. And then they hear a major third immediately. Like, whereas if I'm on a whiteboard and I draw a major third, this is a major third. And then I've got to go walk to my instrument and show that, or maybe I don't go to an instrument at all. And there's no connection between what they, the concept they saw and the noise that it makes. So I guess it's a bit of a hybrid. We haven't got specific ear training built into Musigo yet, but I think that'd be great to have one day for sure. But no, so we're more concentrating on how can we quickly impart the knowledge that matters? Because at some point they're going to need to know it, you know? So, yeah, I think that's how I'd answer that question. The musicianship, yeah, can come out if there's an example that will demonstrate that. But the main priority is like, how can we quickly inject as much knowledge into your head that's going to be useful? Uh, I think that's a really good point that everyone should write down. How do I quickly inject or transfer this knowledge as quickly as possible? Because you've got limited time. And I think that's another challenge for modern music teachers is you've got 30 minutes with someone, 30 to 60 minutes, but there's so much you need to teach them. You need to do the practical skills, some repertoire, potentially creativity, the music theory, the separate ear training or sight reading. It is just kind of you know way too overwhelming. And if you're a professional music student, you're at university, you're doing five or six hours worth of classes, then you're expected to do another three to five hours of practice on top of that. And that's how you get very good very quickly. But there's just no way you can do that with 30 minutes a week. So you kind of unfortunately have to pick and choose what you're going to work on. And that's where being impactful, like what you're saying, how do I teach them the most important thing in the shortest amount of time possible, where I think you're doing really good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess one of the key features we wanted Musigo to do was all right, what if music theory could happen in parallel to the guitar lesson altogether? What if a student could come to the lesson, we'll jam, we'll play our songs, we'll learn our scales, we'll improvise, and then I can say, all right, buddy, now before I see you next week, log in, watch this video or do this lesson, do this module, you know, which will be a video and a quiz and a worksheet, say. Come back next week, show me the worksheet. Worksheet. I'll quickly look at it. Yep, you get it awesome, here's how we can do that on guitar or here's, here's what you can do next. So something's happening alongside you that 
is supporting what you're doing as a teacher. And look, I've still got a couple of students that I'm teaching now and I use Musigo and uh, it mostly is a big giant experiment, right? But it's great. <laughs> it just means we've got more playing time in the lesson and I'm offering them more value as a, in, in a service. So, yeah, I think that's been helpful um, because, yeah, half an hour, 45 minutes, it's just not enough time. <laughs> yeah. So w- what I'm hearing there is, it can be used within a lesson as a valuable resource and, and if you've got 30 minutes, it could be a five to 10 minute kind of component of what you're doing or it could be a standalone, we've got our guitar lesson, this is what we're doing for guitar, but I recommend in your own time you work through a chapter or a module at a time and come back and show me next week. So it's an excellent resource to encourage practice and learning at home. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And yeah, no, like, I mean, how many times might we repeat how to build a C major scale, for example? Um, we <laughs> wouldn't it be great if there was this thing that we could use that does that for us and it's consistent and it saves our voice for a few minutes and it engages the student at the same time. I mean, that's a win-win. <laughs> 100%. Now, I know a lot of our teachers are going, yeah, I'd love the sound of this. It sounds really awesome, but I'm already having trouble getting my students to practice what I give them at home already. How am I going to get them to engage with an additional platform and do even more stuff at home. So do you get questions like that? And, and how do you sort of, in one, encourage people to get their students to practice at home, but two, how to use Musigo and similar platforms or technologies to encourage that additional workload? Yeah, that's a good question. And let's be honest, there's just more and more apps popping up. So it, it becomes, it can get a little bit out of hand. So I think maybe as a teaching, as a teacher and your business, you've got to be quite careful about how many apps and things you're getting your students to do. Like it's good to take an inventory, like what am I actually asking my students to do? How much of it can they actually do? But something we built in with with what we're doing is reporting. So if a student does a quiz for the lesson, the teacher can see that. And so I think the student knowing that there's some accountability can help. Also, If a student's paying for something or the parents of the student are paying for something, that increases the likelihood that they're going to use it because the parents are holding them accountable as well. Uh, And also, if we can make it engaging and fun, it's more likely to happen inside or outside of a lesson as well. So again, um, like with the lessons that we do, for example, they're animated, they've got, you know, cool backing music, they're not long and it's not hard to do. It's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and do my theory lesson and worst case scenario, I'm going to watch a five or 10 minute video and then do a quiz for two or three minutes. It's not a huge commitment, but it's, it has a big impact on their experience. There's just a lot of things that, you, that teachers can use these days. So curating what they're doing so you don't overload your student with too much stuff is probably one thing. <laughs> yeah. And is there any way to encourage the the parents to buy into either supervising this or or setting it up and facilitating it at home? Yeah. So the way our model works is we're not really, we're actually marketing more to the teachers themselves. And what we've found is the teacher has a much better um, chance of saying to the parents, part of what I'm offering is this. And my expectations on the students is this, and I need your help in doing this. So when it comes from the teacher, there's that relationship uh, already, and I think that's better than if I if I go directly to the to a student's parents or a student, you know, external of their teacher, and try and do it. I just think 
that's not going to work. It has to be something that comes from the studio that they're learning from. So, yeah. Yep. Awesome. So, yeah, I think at all times the teachers definitely got the the best chance of sort of encouraging it or or selling their package in terms of uh, this is what we do, these are the extra things we do. But I do think a lot of teachers, as I said, are sort of struggling to get their students to practice at home and and having one more thing to do often, you know, will put parents over the limit or even something else, not, not to derail this conversation, but it seems like at the moment, especially on the back of COVID, everyone's had no social activities to do for the last two years, uh, you know, for the better part of that. Whereas now every kid is doing every activity almost as a, you know, an overcorrection of we were deprived of activities for two weeks and now we've got two or three activities every day, six days a week and then footy on Sundays. And the parents are kind of burning out themselves on having to supervise stuff or drive around or, or do this, this and that. So, yeah, I think um, in terms of having things that students can work through at their own pace but also not be overwhelmed, that's just like, a, I guess, a modern educational challenge which will everyone in every capacity will have to figure out the answer to. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose at the end of the day, you know, do you want to spend an hour scrolling through a, a textbook and doing 20 pages of worksheets if theory is inevitable or do you, you know, do it in less time and, you know, maybe get the same result? Yeah, I, I guess that's always one of the selling points is how do we get, and it goes back to what you said before, how do I teach them this and in the shortest amount of time possible? So having these, embracing the technology and really building upon the fact that, yeah, you don't really need to sit down for half an hour and explain this concept if you can break it up into smaller bite-sized chunks and animate it or play a game around it or make it relevant. It's obviously much more engaging. And that's something I think if you're a guitar teacher or any kind of music teacher and you're avoiding using technology, then you are setting yourself up for failure. And I know so many people who didn't want to do, who just quit teaching altogether because they gave up lessons during COVID because they didn't want to use Zoom or they didn't get the same feeling. It's like, well, this is the world we live in now. And there's definitely going to be niches you can fill. Not saying in-person lessons are going to go away, but you need to embrace technology. Anyone under the age of like 16 now is never going to have an attention span that hasn't been affected by Facebook and TikTok and dopamine hits. And they've been brought up with iPads and, and things like that. So embracing things like MusicGo and other forms of online digital teaching, it's going to become a necessity because that's all people are going to want unless there's like catastrophic uh technology abandonments and everyone cottons onto the fact that it's, it's extremely bad for you, but it's one of those things where it's just part of the modern world and modern education. Have you built any you know, gamification and, and additional elements? And I'm, I'm saying this completely as, as someone who has never looked at a demo for your product or service and, and is a little bit uh, uninformed about it. Do you have like the gamification components and, and reward systems for the students? Yeah, so not so much a gamification more than there's like progress tracking and certifications. So when we made the content, we thought, all right, we can't just have this giant course of 105 lessons and start up here and when you get all the way down here, good job, here's a certificate. Instead, what we did is organize the lessons into small sort of bite-size groups and put them into something called mini courses. And then when they finished the mini course, they'd get a certificate for that. It's like, hey, teacher, I did this. I now know. I I just completed pitch level one and it only took me like two weeks, you know. So there's this like, hey, I completed something. Um, So that's one uh, thing we did. The 
I'm just trying to think about what you think. I'll just jump in there because it's just so important to break these big long concepts into smaller micro pieces. And that's how kids work. They want a little bit of information. They want a pat on the back or their sticker or their certification, and they want the next easy bit of information. And that's just how kids work. And I think a lot of teachers struggle to go put themselves in the shoes of themselves when they were maybe just younger or again, certain personality types, you go to university, you realize that, yes, I've got to do this long study course over the period of you know three to six months. My adult brain can do that. But with kids, it's got to be small. It's got to be broken down. And those rewards along the way are an important part of the journey for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think the other thing I did, you know, we wanted to include for engagement's sake is um, like when you click on a course, just the images you're seeing are relevant. Like you might see a cool room with a studio set up and some LEDs. It won't just be like a musical example of a scale. It's like, oh, great, I'm learning scales. You know, you're actually, it's like there's some um, imagery built into it that's contemporary that's it's like, oh, this is cool. This is a place I like to be. I showed a teacher who um, at a school actually recently and they showed me a, a theory platform that they were using and the uh, sort of the front end of it was quite uh, dry and basic. And he showed me this before we, we chatted about years ago. And um, I showed him this. He's like, oh, this just looks better. Like it looks like something I want to interact with and click and look at, you know. So, yeah, while there's no gamification per se, um, because remember our goal is just get them in, learn the thing quickly and then get out again. We have got, we have really thought about how progress um, develops and, you know, how it feels to be in there. Yeah, and very, very important stuff in terms of the feeling, the image. I've got this great quote. Um, I think I was watching the movie Megamind with our kids. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that movie. And he just goes, what's the difference between a villain and a supervillain? And he goes, presentation. And I was just like, this is one of my favorite quotes in the whole world. Anything you can make look better instantly goes head and shoulders above the, you know, the next best thing. And, and we're very visual creatures. Again, everything we've just talked about in this digital age, it's all about attention, 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 looking good. And most people, even with pop music in that, you know, they listen with their eyes, not necessarily their ears in the beginning. So anything you can do to make the program more presentable and stand out from the others, I think is really important and engaging. Mm, yeah. So how do you go about deciding what are the core essential music theory topics in, you know, essentially 1,400 years of recorded Western musical history and all the things you could teach about? How do you go about narrowing that down to the core topics you teach in music? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think having the end in mind is like, okay, what if, what if a student wants to become really good and start writing music in a, in a contemporary setting? Like they want to get into jazz or pop or some kind of fusion or metal or rock. What's the stuff that we see down at the basic level of that and then the sort of more extreme end of that and then work backwards from there? The funny thing is that um, so much of the music theory that was developed 1,400 years ago still matters. Like it's still kind of a fundamental thing. It's just how people used it um, over time is what changed. Uh, So you know, if we look at our Western music system with 12 notes, I mean, how much are we producing with these 12 notes? You know, it's crazy. So we sort of thought, well, there's the basic fundamental stuff that we all have to know, like pitch and rhythm. 
scales, intervals, triads. But then as we go up, let's let's focus more on chord progressions and and you know interesting rhythms that might be catchy or how chords relate to each other or what scales can be used or where do these chords even come from. Um, so that's yeah, that's probably more where we're aiming and what we decided would matter first. And the thing is we live in this age where information is just so readily available. So like when I was teaching guitar full time, I thought how good would it be if I had students who had lessons with me for say two or three years and by the end of that time they were pretty good guitar players but also they understood what a key was and they knew what scales would work with what chords. They knew quite a bit about rhythm and beat division. You know, if I had students who were walking out the door with that, I would consider that to be quite a big win as, a, as their teacher because I've set them up. If they go, oh, actually, I really like orchestration and I want to write some orchestral music, well, that's great and there's plenty of stuff out there that will teach you that. But if you've already got this fundamental understanding of, you know, pitch, harmony, rhythm, then you're just taking that information over there and, you go, and you're putting it on top of this foundation you already have. So... As Musigo grows, we're going to add more and more stuff in, but the things that we had to get in there first was that, you know, the things that I just mentioned. What's going to be useful most urgently? <laughs> and just to go back to what you said, I think you cannot understate the importance for making people musicians rather than just guitar players. And, yeah, how many people do you have go through a couple of years' worth of lessons or even a couple of years' worth of self-teaching and they can copy things like a parrot but they can't truly speak? big breakthrough for me was just realizing that it was with bar chords. I think I was, I would learn like this song and it would take me forever to learn hotel California. And that would take me forever to learn like another bar chord progression. And then at some point I realized that, hang on, that if I just go along and memorize the notes on string six and then put the bar chord shape rather than try and remember individual positions of notes, I only need to remember locations and move one or two shapes. And all of a sudden it went from, Every, heart, every song with its own independent thing that needs to be memorized to, oh, I only need to memorize chord shapes and move them at certain points. That completely changed the game. And I think so many self-taught players fall into that trap and even guitar teachers is they teach isolated progressions and there's no way to connect the dots between the topics, the fretboard, the theory. So you liberate people when you give them that next level of understanding, which can then be taken to a piano. You know, I've never had a piano lesson in my life because I understand how the theory works and every other instrument I go to that, like what you've said with orchestration, when you understand how music works, the instrument almost doesn't matter. Once you have some basic technical knowledge of how do I perform or execute this particular sound or technique. Absolutely. Uh, it's almost like, you know, coming back to your Hotel California example, the theory, the knowing how this is working means that the guitar's not playing you anymore, you're playing it. It's like, okay, the first chord's B minor. Uh-oh, I'm in a band now and we've all got to play B minor. Are we all going to play the same thing? Like, what is B minor? Can I play that somewhere else? Can I voice that differently so I'm not in the other guy's way? You know, as you said, it's liberating, absolutely. So, yeah, same here. It was my yeah. turning point as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because – Whenever you put people in a band for the first time, everyone does everything exactly the same. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're all going to play the exact B minor chord and if we go, okay, well, let's think about things slightly differently. And when you know the instrument, all of a sudden you start making your own decisions about 
how you're going to interpret the song rather than just repeating it parrot fashion from the tabs or or from what you hear on the recording. And that's when the magic really happens when you give people the ability to interpret music and put their own spin on it rather than repeat it for an exam or or, or just how this is the one true way the song has to go. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> awesome. Now, in terms of launching Musigo, I know many people, especially on the back of, of, of the last two years of lockdowns and things like that, many people have created programs or courses or online learning. Many people totally you know, flop when it comes to launching and then they give up and they all their hard work goes you know, down the drain, never to be repeated again, and they swear off any sort of online program. You seem to have quite the opposite experience, I'm sure, not in terms of lots of hard work going into it, but you've had a, a pretty successful launch and you've had a big uptake of early adopters. So could you talk us through how you've gone about planning the marketing side of things, how you've gone about getting your name out there and, and getting your first round of clients on the program? Sure. Yeah. So, well, firstly, I think laying the groundwork for a project is important. So when we decided to commit to the idea of creating Musigo, it's like, well, we better get some better get some feedback, better get some information from people. So I reached out to like a lot of the teachers that I knew personally and I said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What would you like to what would you like this to do? How would you like to see this work? What would you want to see included in this? And so that gave me firstly some ideas on how we're going to build this thing and the content that's going to be in there. But it also gave me my first customers. Because it's like, hey guys, you know how you told me this thing that you wanted? Now this thing that you wanted exists. Do you would you like to use it? <laughs> you know, that it was a little bit of an easier step in to get the first adopters. And then, yeah, so sort of this year, since really I guess February when term went back, we did a lot of just direct marketing. Now, look, there's probably people listening who have who've had a dabble in marketing when they've had an idea. It can be quite scary the first time. Like I was sending off the first emails to schools. I didn't know any one of these schools or or these studios. And, you know, there'd be crickets. No one would email me back. I'm like, hey, I've just made this amazing thing and it's going to solve your problem. Why aren't you banging down my door, you know? But persistence was definitely part of the key. You know, you might have to email 100 people to get one person who's interested to begin with. And as we've grown, obviously, we have social proof. It's like, hey, we actually have 500 people in here and they're loving it. You know, uh, the next person I speak to isn't taking such a big risk because there's some evidence now. But at the beginning, yeah, it was kind of hard to get those first people to adopt it. But I did have at least a way to get to them because they'd sort of partially contributed to it in the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So you almost, you, you didn't necessarily just make something and then shout out to the world and say, hey, look what I've made. You kind of found people who uh, were in the market that you were looking to provide for. You asked them what their problems were and, and what they needed. And then you built something that solved some of those problems and then tried to build a bit of marketing on top of that to which uh, there was lots of people ignoring it or not getting the message or um, just putting it straight in the spam folder with the other 10 emails offering similar things, which I'm sure happens with the, you know, the flooding of the market. But you did a little bit of research ahead of time and those people who opted in to give you some feedback were more warm to your concept because they already knew who you were and what you were putting together. Am I safe in assuming that? Yeah, and I guess so. 
there's there's a lesson in that, and that is the importance of networking. You know, um, if you're a, if you're a guitar teacher, don't see other guitar teachers as enemies. See them as someone you can network with, and I think that's really powerful because if you ever do have an idea or something you can share, then you've got a a platform or you've got a group of people to initially launch to. So yeah, I think yeah, networking is a really important thing. Yeah. Very, very important thing. And, you know, I got some really bad business advice early on in my guitar teaching career, which was treat every other guitar teacher like a competitor. Now, I think if you if you work on one street and across the road is another guitar teacher, you definitely don't have to be enemies. You know, they're probably just they're just like you. They're passionate about guitar, they love their music and they want to share their passion with other people and help people. Think of it more as rivals than enemies or competitors. You want to kind of outdo them. But at the end of the day, they're just similar to you with similar interests and passions and things. But being really standoffish, especially online, like with people who, who knows, one day down the track, you might have something that they need and they're not going to buy it from you because you've you know spurned them or gone out thinking you know better. And I think in this day and age of the internet and technology, uh, everyone's like hypercharged at the moment and I'm right, you're wrong, all that kind of thing. And there's so many friends you could make. There's so many great uh, friendships you can do, groups you can join. We've got the Top Music Guitar Teaching Group on Facebook. Check that out. I've got my Guitar Ninjas community, my six-figure guitar community. There's so many people you can connect with. And what I'm finding with my six-figure guys and my Guitar Ninjas guys is, you know, I'm helping them with their businesses and then they're going on to create their own projects or little ideas. And then, you know, one of my guys is, really diving into Facebook ads and things. And he comes back and goes, oh, I've done some more research and this, this and that. And then, you know, shares that with a few other people in the group or one of um, my Guitar Ninja's clients is coming back to me going, oh, I tried this one out and I, I mixed this resource you created with this thing. And now I think it's better and, and all of our programs, you know, grow together. But if there's one other thing I noticed that you said before with the social proof, like my six-figure course where I get guitar teachers to earn $100,000 or more teaching, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week. The first time you tell people that, they just don't believe you. There's like, they get angry. There's there's no way you can make that amount of money teaching guitar. And even though you can break down the mass and say, yeah, if you charge $50 or less than that's $200 a month, you only need 42 clients any one time learning with you to make $8,334 per month, which adds up to you know $100,000 per year. It's super simple, but people just don't want to hear it or they want to fight you over it. I had to like, you know, message a hundred people a day, hundred emails a day just to get the first handful of clients. But then every time one of those guys hit six figures, and I think we had four in the first year, we've announced uh, two more this year already. Every time someone gets announced, a whole bunch of people who said no previously come back and go, oh, okay, so it does actually work. Tell me more about it. So once you get that social proof for what you do, it is amazingly powerful and shameless plug if you're interested in making $100,000 in your business, then of course, come and talk to me. I'd love to put you through that six-figure guitar program. And it's 100% legit. I've done it myself. I've done it with two separate locations of my studio, Melbourne Guitar Academy. I've now helped six guitar teachers do it in their own businesses. I want you to be the next one. And when you get to $100,000 in your studio, that's when it's really easy to sign up for something like Guitar Ninjas and just pay for a curriculum that you can use and get back 10 hours of lesson prep every week. Or you can pay for a program like Musigo and go, hey, this sounds really awesome, but I wish I had money to pay for it. You just go and pay for it. And then all of a sudden, you become a better studio. Your students get a better experience. 
the word on the street starts to get this little buzz about the amazing stuff you're doing, the results you're getting a student, and then more people come to it. So not to make this a topic about money, but when you get your finances in order, then you can take care of yourself, you can take care of your family, you can take care of your students so much better. And then because you're doing a better job, more and more people come into it. So you can choose to raise your prices if you want. You can upgrade to a better studio, you can buy better equipment. And then you hear that saying, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It's not like a malicious thing. It's the people with the money keep on reinvesting back into themselves to continuously give themselves a better advantage and upper hand. And they just grow and grow and grow from that positive uh, reinforcement wheel, that positive cycle, and just keep doing bigger and better things. So if you want to get unstoppable, if you want to have a really cool guitar studio, if you like the sound of music, go definitely go check out Zach's program there. But the six-figure program and even in the top music guitar membership, there is some basic business training in there where we can get you at least started. But it'll be absolutely life-changing to get your finances in order and then to have money to invest into making the coolest guitar lesson program or coolest music studio you can. If I was to add something to that, Michael, it would be when we – so pricing is a thing, you know. When we set up Musigo, it's like, how are we going to charge for this? How's it going to work? And um, one of the guys who's kindly invested in this business and mentored me through it, said, is there a way we can do this so that maybe, firstly, it doesn't cost the teacher anything if they don't want it to, and maybe they can profit by offering it. So, you know, the traditional old way might have been, okay, I'll go to a music shop and I'll buy my music theory textbooks and they might give me a discount and then I'll get those books and I'll take them to my students and I'll sell them to my students and maybe make a dollar. You know, that's quite a lot of work just to get the resource in the student's hand and you didn't really profit that much. So when we thought about how Musigo would work in terms of pricing, some studios just say, we pay the bill, claim it as an expense, and we provide it to the students, end of story. But when a studio teacher signs up to Musigo, we give them 50% off the licenses so that they've got wiggle room. They might choose to then ask their students to either just pay the cost price of Musigo and then the teacher's not out of pocket, or because it's so much of a discount, they can put a couple of dollars on and they're increasing their monthly revenue while making their work a bit easier. Yeah, I think the business savvy part of being a studio teacher is definitely something to keep drilling down on and exploring because, yeah, there's some great things out there that can enhance your studio and may not cost you more money or may even increase the bottom line. Yeah, and something that's worth adding on to that is the fact that you need to be calculating your retention and always looking for things that are going to boost and drive retention. So, what's the price of Musigo with a discount? Is it a per student thing? Yeah, so you, we do it in increments of five. So, a student license is $6. So, a studio, if they want five licenses, it's going to cost them $30 a month and each student costs $6 each. If they didn't do that and they just wanted to, each student wanted to buy it themselves, it's $12 per month. So, there's that. But there's also the teacher account, which is, I suppose, another account that you get for free. So that, you know, for a studio teacher, they actually get six accounts and one is theirs. So that's how that works. Awesome. So how I would, I would think about that, if it's $6 per month, would you pay $6 per month or, you know, maximum $72 per year to extend the lifetime of your students by a couple of months? So this might be something uh, I'm sure you can get the statistics on a little bit further down the track once you've been running up and longer. But I'd be looking at you know Musigo and going, well, how many months is this going to add on to the lifetime my student spends with me? If my student uh, stays for three months longer because they were engaged, they understood the music theory, and I charge $200 per month, 
I've spent $72 a year to increase the life cycle of my student or the value by $600 or you know, $428 or something by the time you subtract the cost. So is it worth me investing $72 on my students to improve their education, to improve their long-term retention, to improve the experience I'm offering, knowing that I might make back you know, over $500 just if it boosted by three months. But if this is engaging more people and they're staying for two or three years longer because I'm just doing things so much better, they understand things quicker and they progress faster and get better results, then you're adding thousands of dollars onto the lifetime value of that student. So this is where you need to see past getting by on the bare minimum and look at it as an investment. It's not an additional cost. It is, can I invest into myself and my studio and my students knowing that when they get better results, they're going to stick around for longer. And that's been one of the key successes for me with the Guitar Ninjas program is noticing that by engaging the students straight away from the beginning, because we've got the gamification, the fun level up system, by making them progress quicker, they get through that three-month hurdle where they're deciding whether they like it or not. And if it's still hard by month number three, because they come half an hour once a week, then they're likely to drop off at that point. But if we can get them really good really quickly, do what you did before, give them all the essential stuff as fast as possible, they don't have that initial drop-off because they're loving it from day one, they're excelling from day one, they're playing real songs from day one, and then they're staying with us for two years, three years You know, in excess. I think um, my longest student with me now is coming up on his 11th year or something, which is ridiculous, and he's been with me, you know, one of my original students back in the, uh, the Glenroy music days. So you can think of the value. I, I, I put it up, I was doing some retention statistics. I've got something like over five people, five families that have paid us over $20,000 in in a four to five year period. So we're charging a premium. We're offering a whole bunch of additional cool things. But everything I offer, even though it costs me money, it's extending their life cycle by months, if not years, and making us thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on the back end. So again, if you're looking at music going, going, oh, you know, $6 is a little bit of money. If you were to spend $72 to make $500, would that be a good investment of your money? And most of you would hopefully say yes. Mm, I like it. I think another thing that flows on from uh, my experience with students who got better and retention is that often the students who got quite good and I'd had for eight plus years, they would switch to our lessons. They'd start putting more money into guitar, not less, which was interesting. Some would leave, fair enough, but some would stay and they just want to meet for an hour. So they'd pay a, a higher price bracket. And then often these lessons would be quite really fun for me as a teacher. It's like, okay, we just want to really drill down on improvisation and we're just going to trade solos, you know, like it's a very different looking lesson um, when you're teaching an advanced student who wants to be there and maybe is asked to be there even longer. So, yeah, I totally agree with what you just said. (laughs) Yeah. And if anyone's listening to this going, oh, man, I need more money, I can't afford things. The easiest thing you can do is just ask everyone your students doing half an hour to see if they want to upgrade to doing an hour. And 10 to 20% of your students at any one time are probably going to say up, you know, jump at the chance to do that, especially if you've got great relationships with them. At other points in time, you're just going to have to have a conversation and go, hey, look, little Timmy's doing really, really well, but we've hit the limit of what we can achieve in a 30-minute lesson. I think we need to upgrade to a 60-minute session or do another session later in the week. So there's so many different things you can do to get money coming in. And I keep coming back to this money topic. I just think it's so important to have a great financial education to realize that although we're musicians, we're generally creative types. We're not 
necessarily always business people, you have to develop a business hat. You have to start thinking of yourself as a business person. You run a business, you provide services for people. The money or the financial goal may not be the reason you got into it, and it may not be in your top list of priorities. But if you can develop a positive association with money and realize that, hey, it's just a resource, you know, a gun is not inherently good or evil. It is a tool, just like money. Having lots of money doesn't corrupt you. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just amplifies who you are. So if you're a positive, creative person who loves helping your students, you can do so many more wonderful things when you have great finances behind you to back and fund your creativity and what you want to do. So in terms of you know, bringing that one in for landing, there are just so many things you can do. And rather than think, oh, you know, I'm afraid to ask about getting more money from my students, some of your students are going to be flat broke and won't be able to afford anything else. But some of your students are also going to have more money than you realize they have and would want to help you out by paying you more and would want more value from you as a student. Uh, and just never assume who can pay what. You often be surprised at how much more money some people have than you ever anticipated, how freely they part with that money and uh, how happy they are to invest into the right forms of education, particularly parents for their kids. If you can sell people on the benefits of a, a quality musical education, which doesn't just include the guitar lessons, but the music theory side of things and an all-encompassing musical experience, then parents will pay so much for that. What are you doing to create wonderful experiences for your students? Mm, nice. So, Zach, we've got to bring this one in for landing. I'm sure many of our listeners are going to be very interested in Musigo. So where can they go to find out more and where can they connect with you online if they've got questions? Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, firstly, you could go to www.musigo.com.au. That's where you'll find Musigo and you can do a free sample course so you can try a few of the lessons and see how it feels to be in it. Yeah. Or you can, or you can also sign up. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page, so just search Musigo Music Theory and you'll find us on Facebook and also on, on Instagram. Fantastic. So we'll include those links wherever you're listening to the podcast. Make sure you check it out. It sounds like a fantastic program and you've heard from the man himself all the benefits of music theory and how you can further engage your students in this you know, important topic in lessons, outside of lessons and really contribute to their their musical educational experience. So, Zach, what's one last little bit of wisdom or information you'd share with our listeners? I think it's just coming back to music theory. As teachers, if we're solid in music theory ourselves, that actually empowers us to teach a broader range of students, which is going to increase our business. It gives us more confidence in teaching and it's an incredibly useful thing to cultivate within yourself and your students. It's really not a boring thing. It's a, it's a liberating thing like we spoke about earlier, Michael. I think, yeah, seeing music theory as a key to unlocking things rather than a set of rules that's going to limit creativity or um, make you boring or something. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, you know where to go in terms of checking out Musigo and we'll post all those links. And just a bit of housekeeping before we wrap this episode up. We have our 50th episode coming up. If you want to be a part of that, email me your guitar teaching tip to michael at topmusic.co. If you want to submit a video or an audio track, then I will send you a Dropbox link and we can put that together and edit into the final cut. Otherwise, I will read out your question there. If you are interested in Musigo, go check that out. It's going to be an amazing platform and extremely helpful. If you are interested in saving tons of time within your teaching, hit me up about Guitar Ninjas. We have a special discount for all of our top music members. 
And we've also got the Six Figure Guitar Teacher Program. So there is some basic music coaching in the top music program. But if you want to make a $100,000 guitar teaching studio where you teach no more than 15, 20 hours per week, then the Six Figure Program will give you the exact blueprint I use to build not just one, but two multi six figure studios as a solo guitar teacher, which have now evolved into Melbourne Guitar Academy with our close to 400 students, 10 teachers, and the wonderful enterprise that we're doing here. And I'm educating the whole top music fan base on from my experiences there. So guys, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.